and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends. And welcome back to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I am the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down that road of wrestling history, sharing his tales, his anecdotes, and now his audio with all of us each and every week. And without any further ado, let me introduce him, the man of the hour, the host of the Studcast, the legendary Tennessee Stud himself, Ron Fuller. Ron, now with audio, how are you today? Yes, I'm doing great, and I love the audio. Uh, I think, uh, and we got tremendous response from the first one that we ran, and today we're going to do uh, four pieces, four four segments, little segments, and uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's uh, really good for the good for the program, and it gives the fans an opportunity to hear these guys. I've been impersonating, and I don't do the best impersonations, so. I think it's great when they got to hear last week as an example of Ron Wright's entire uh, personality profile and uh, in his own voice. And, you know, it's uh, it's really a nice thing. Uh, these two gentlemen uh, out of Knoxville have, uh, have really kind of hooked us up with something that uh, is really special. It's going to make our stud cast even better uh, if we can sync up some of our shows with the interviews. I think uh, fans will really, really have have an even better idea of what it was all about. I think you're cutting yourself short. You do a great Ron Wright impression. You also do a great, I guess we'll call it, generic Australian number one impression. Uh, people like your impressions here on the show, and maybe we'll hear a little bit more, and we'll certainly hear some audio later on in the show, Ron. But before we get going, usually I tell everyone here at the top of the show about the Super Studcast. We're going to do that in a little bit. But first, I want you to talk a little bit about something that I know you're really proud to be a part of, something that's coming up. A lot of people just heard you talk about it on the Jim Cornette Experience. Ron, tell us about what's coming up on Saturday night, November 23rd. Well, you're right. Uh, it, it is, to me, a special event. It, we're going to celebrate in Dothan, Alabama, the phenomenal life uh, and the career of one of the greatest wrestling stars of all time, WWE Hall of Famer, Bullet Bob Armstrong. And the Bullet uh, just celebrated his 80th birthday and 60 years in the ring. Uh, and it's going to be a tribute to him from uh, from fans uh, and, and that show up, obviously, at this tremendous event. But at the same time, it's going to be a lot of wrestlers from around the world that are sending us 
these tributes and the, and these stories of Bob himself. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be at the beautiful Crossings at Big Creek facility. It used to be called Center Stage. It's on Highway 231, just south of Dothan, Alabama. Uh, and a beautiful facility this is in a ballroom. Uh, it's really going to be a, quite the classic event. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be there as a as kind of a co-host. Uh, Charlie Platt, who was the southeastern commentator for Pensacola, is going to be there. And uh, was going to be Road Dog, but Road Dog, uh, because he still works with WWE, he's been called aside, and it's going to be another Armstrong boy. It's going to be Steve Armstrong that will be there with us, with his father, uh, Bullet Bob. And uh, this, this, this is a great event. It's going to have a meet and greet with all the fans, not just a few of them. Everybody's going to have the opportunity to meet all four of us. Uh, it's going to have uh, include uh, Southeastern and Continental videos uh, on this huge big screen that they have in this ballroom. And uh, like I said, guest of honor tributes from wrestlers from all over the world. I really look forward to seeing those myself. And uh, obviously the special guest, Bob, will be there. An unforgettable evening. And we're going to have surprises for him. Uh, Fannie Mae Titwiler may show up there. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her myself. <laughs> you know, so uh, this is going to be a tremendous event. And for fans who would like to get their tickets in advance, you can get them at Eventbrite, that's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-B-R-I-T-E, eventbrite.com, or thecrossingsbigcreek.com. And uh, they're $20, $30, I'm sorry, for each person. And if you get two seats, it's $50 for two seats. Uh, like I said, it's going to be an extraordinary event. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. A great night of memories, laughter, and love, and uh and uh, at the end of the day's program, I will give you everyone that ticket information again if they want to get a pen or get ready for it. Uh, at the end of the program, I will just mention uh, just about uh, where to get those advanced tickets. But uh, really going to be a spectacular event in a beautiful facility uh, in, in a tremendous wrestling town, probably the best little small city in America as far as wrestling was concerned, Dothan, Alabama. And everyone will have a great night with the bullet and uh it's high time that we did it 80 years old uh 60 years in the ring this guy is a phenomenal piece of work and uh really looking forward to it sounds like a special night of course you mentioned a wwe hall of famer also one of the all-time greats of southern wrestling check this out on saturday night november 23rd and you know, speaking of bob armstrong bob armstrong was the guest of a very memorable episode of the super stud cast we talked about his career we talked about the Atlanta War, talked about so much. People love that one, and people really love the latest edition of the Super Studcast. Super Studcast number 23, part one, with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Everyone's been checking it out and going nuts, and part two is just around the corner. And we want to remind you, if you are a patron of the Studcast, go to patreon.com slash studcast. There's a post up right now. Submit your questions for Dr. Tom Pritchard. So once again, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast to hear Super Studcast number 23 and submit your questions right now at patreon.com slash studcast. We'll have more information about that later in the show, but Ron, where are we going to go this week on the Studcast? 
Well, I want to start out by uh, thanking the fans that responded. I asked uh, on social media what people thought about these audios. Actually, you know, everybody really loved them. And uh, obviously, Brian, uh, fans fans love being able to hear Ron Wright's first personality profile and his actual voice, you know, and, and I've been impersonating him, but I'm certainly not going to be exactly like Ron Wright. And the uh, audio portion we used last week, first time ever, of the Southeastern Television program, the opening by Phil Rainey. And today we're going to uh, we're going to push that a little bit further. We're going to use more of these audios on today's studcast. We're going to do one with my brother Robert Fuller, his first personality profile on Southeastern. Rock Hunter and the Assassin in a personality profile, talking about how they injured me. Uh, a personality profile with me talking about the injury and my plans to make those two guys' lives miserable, <laughs> the rock hunter and the assassin, by uh, a little plan I had to start buying tickets and sitting in the crowd behind in the corner behind them. And uh, then uh, in the last one, rock hunter is going to describe my injury and uh, talk about his new army. And, uh, you know, they, these, these actual audios are going to be very, very... Uh, I think fans are just going to be fascinated with them. Uh, I'm fascinated with them, to be quite honest with you, when I hear them myself. And these four audios today are from the actual 1975 Southeastern television shows. And uh, that'll be uh, later today. And we're going to talk uh, then about the card of Halloween night, 1975, uh, where I'm going to return yeah, I'm going to get into the ring. I'm not wrestling that night, but I am going to enter the ring that night and become part of those matches on uh, Halloween night, 1975. To begin today, Brian, uh, let's lay the foundation with the tremendous actual interviews and personality profiles that tell the story, basically, of my turn from heel to babyface, my injury, and my new plan to make life miserable for the two guys that hurt me. Once again, I would like to thank the Hill Brothers, Richard and Robert, in Knoxville, Tennessee, for having recorded these tremendous audios in 1975 and saved them. And, uh, and there are going to be many more of these in the future from Southeastern. Uh, they have recordings that are going to go for, for maybe three or four years in Southeastern time frame. And it'll be really spectacular to add this to our program. So today we've got four of them, like I said. And uh, and these studcasts, uh, the, the ones that we're going to hear today, these audios are just enjoyable for fans today as they were 44 years ago when they were actually recorded with the show. The first one today is a soundbite. It's the first personality profile ever done by my brother, Robert on the Southeastern program. And in the course of this particular one, I'm still a heel at this point. You're going to pick that up in this audio here. But this one, uh, if we're ready, if you're ready, Brian, let's go ahead and play this first audio with Robert Fuller, uh, Southeastern Wrestling's personality profile. Well, first I'd like to say uh, how nice it is to be wrestling back in Knoxville. Uh, it's certainly a pleasure to wrestle here anytime I have the opportunity. And uh, as far as my high school background goes, I wrestled through high school and also wrestled a couple of years in uh, college there in Atlanta Junior College. You wrestled in Atlanta Junior College, but uh, you turned pro actually before you finished school there, right? Yeah, more or less. Uh, 
I, I never tried to exceed too much of an amateur career after uh, high school because uh, I had ideas of going right into wrestling, you know, getting involved in it as soon as possible. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you turned pro, and, uh, of course, the career has been real good. But here's the thing I want to ask you. Your brother and you started as a tag team and wrestled quite a bit, several years as a tag team, and did very well. But uh, Ron has changed his style quite a bit, uh, but you're still wrestling the same way that uh, you were when you started. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well, I don't know. You know, this often troubled me before when I was in Knoxville. I came here a couple of times, and I watched Ronald and his new style of wrestling, and uh, I, I've heard a lot of people come up with a lot of excuses. The only thing I can say is that uh, Ronald's done real well. He's won a lot. Uh, I've done exceptionally well for a young fellow just starting out in professional athletics and uh, I can't make excuses for him I can just say he's done well and he goes his way and I go mine That's well I know this uh, Robert you've got uh, quite a few hobbies that uh, you pursue when you have the time you boat quite a bit you've got uh, quite a nice boat uh, you raise horses train horses and also you play the guitar a little bit right that's right I used to be very interested in horses till I got uh, uh, established pretty well the fact that I was going to wrestle and uh, then I kind of put the horses aside and bought me a boat and started thinking more about conditioning and and uh, being outside and everything and I just uh, I really enjoy being out. Uh, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about you, about what kind you have, what kind of motor you've got and so forth. Well, I got a big 25 foot sea ray that I spend a lot of time on the lake with, all of my time, my spare time. When you were raising the horses, uh, you showed them quite a bit, didn't you? And That's right. Uh, I travel all over the country. Many of the places that I wrestle now have already been there due to having shown horses there before. So it's uh, a lot of familiar to you. Of course, a lot of traveling with the wrestling. And uh, so I mentioned the guitar. And uh, I guess this is sort of a relaxation for you when you're on the road. Uh, you spend a lot of nights in hotels and motels, of course, and it's something to keep you busy, right? That's right. It's great. It's great to have something that you can uh, get into as much as I do the guitar. I just really enjoy it. I know retirement's a long way off for you, but uh, do you have any plans for after you hang up your wrestling tights really i don't you know my uh, you said that i was a member of the third generation wrestling family and uh everybody in my family's always wrestled to a pretty late age because they enjoyed it and uh i'm not looking forward to any retirement anytime soon well how about uh, staying in wrestling at maybe after you hang up the trunks maybe as a promoter or as a matchmaker something like that well that's always nice it's nice to think about that but really right now i'm just thinking about my ring time and uh, i'd like to be world's champion last well, talking about world champion, have you met Jack Briscoe yet? Yeah, I've met Jack. I know Jack real well, and uh, I've had one opportunity to wrestle him. I'll have to say he's the world champion because he is the finest wrestler in the country. But certainly, I'm sure you would like to lock horns with him again, and you'd like to be wearing that championship belt, right? I'm looking forward to that. I had a non-title match with him, and I'm looking forward to a title match. And uh, Maybe I can wear that thing someday. Well, good, Robert. We want to thank you for being with us. Brian, I can't get over how young both Robert and I sound when I listen to these audios. Kind of freaks me out, I tell you. The road owns you. Yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard to imagine now that Rob was only 26 years old when he did this interview. And it was his first time back in Knoxville since the match, the Coliseum show of April 24th, 1975, when he wrestled Jerry Briscoe for the Georgia Championship on that, that, that card that night. Uh, at the Coliseum, and I wrestled his brother, Jack Briscoe, for the world title. Uh, he wasn't particularly happy that I was a heel, 
And uh, and he didn't try to make excuses for me in this personality profile. And he kind of lays it out there like it is. You know, he, he's not too happy with with uh, what I'm doing at this point. But uh, this this personality profile took place uh, only a couple weeks before I turned babyface. And soon thereafter, I got injured. So, uh, you know, I like to let's do another soundbite here. It's a second one. I, I want to kind of tell a story here. Rob has kind of started this out by what's going on with me. I'm still a heel at that point, about to turn babyface. And this second soundbite's a personality profile with Rock Hunter and the Assassin. It's about five weeks after the one you just heard with my brother Robert. And I just turned babyface the week before this one that you're going to hear. And this was the TV done the morning after I was taken to the hospital after the incident with the assassin and Rock Hunter. Uh, so the profile, this one's going to open up with Rock Hunter. I believe his voice is the first thing on here. And uh, if you're ready, uh, let's, let's let fans uh, have a listen at the real Rock Hunter and what the assassins sound like. Well, for my part of it, you know, I don't uh, get mad at dumb animals because, really, uh, their intelligence is somewhat beneath us. However, when I informed the assassin what a low, conniving, backstabbing sort of individual that Ron Fuller is, was, and is, then the assassin really got mad. Now, the results of the assassin's anger were quite evident last night to everyone. Ron Fuller was carried out by three or four or five men. Uh, we know that he's seriously injured. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised to learn that he's completely lost his nerve and that we won't see Ron Fuller in wrestling competition around here anymore. Now, this was the purpose. Eliminate Ron Fuller. Well, the assassin, when I told him and emphasized just what had happened, just the way that Ron Fuller had connived against him, when I informed and explained the assassin told me confidentially, he says, I'm not going to just defeat this man. I'm going to destroy him. And you know, the assassin did destroy Ron Fuller. There's no denying it. As far as wrestling competition is concerned, Ron Fuller is destroyed. Let me interrupt you here just a moment, uh, Rock, and ask you this now. I know that you're on this Ron Fuller kick, and of course I understand the reason, the complications, and the... Uh, problems behind that, but uh, as a tag team, you and the uh, Assassin certainly have gained a lot of notoriety, have won a lot of regional titles in different places. Let's get into it a little deeper, opposed to the fact that, uh, of course, you are both skilled wrestlers, skilled athletes. Uh, what is your philosophy in that ring that makes you such a successful combination? <laughs> well, I think that uh, all I have to do is just unleash the Assassin any time that I want to and, and watch a man be destroyed. Uh, one note of interest, uh, I think, that may interest everyone. Uh, I've acquired the services of a very good wrestler, uh, Gene Dundee, and you'll be seeing a lot of him. But uh, really, our philosophy, uh, or at least my philosophy, is just unleash the assassin, because the man is a real tiger. There's no question of that. Just unleash him and uh, 
then I just stand back and watch him destroy people. Well, let me ask you, Assassin, uh, how do you feel about your partner's philosophy? And apparently he must uh, do the uh, planning, or so it seems anyway, for the team. Well, not really. It's a joint effort uh, on the part of both of us as far as our strategy and our philosophy in the, in the, the ring is concerned. Uh, the only thing that I might add uh, concerning uh, Mr. Hunter's philosophy towards our opponents is this. You know, there have been a, a lot of publicity about great coaches down through the years, uh, Newt Rockney and so on, and these coaches had one thing that the average coach doesn't have. That's the ability to get the most out of a player or out of an individual. He can take... Uh, an individual and actually make them play over their head and you know short conversations that I have with uh, Mr. Hunter prior to going into the ring with uh, people like Ron Fuller and so on he has this uncanny ability to really psych a person out you know uh, you know yourself from the years that you've been active in professional wrestling that you have to have a, a certain mental attitude in your mind before you can go into the ring and be successful and everyone every individual that participates in any type of of competitive sport has to be psyched out. They have to psych themselves out. Now, sometimes this is a very, very difficult job for the individual to psych themselves out. But as long as I have a person like Mr. Hunter around me, the way that this man can can uh, communicate with you, the way this man comes across to me, I can listen to this man for five minutes and I can become more psyched out or psyched up for a particular individual or a particular match than I could do myself in 30 or 40 minutes prior to uh, going into the ring. This is one of the reasons why I think Mr. Rock Hunter is probably one of the most gifted individuals that professional wrestling will ever see, not only mentally, but physically. Well, you've heard it from the Assassin and Rock Hunter, what their feelings are and what makes a great tag team combination in professional wrestling. This has been our personality profile for today. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you'll join us again next week for another wrestler personality profile. These two guys were great heels, and, and they made a kind of unique interviews for heels. They were both very calm and dangerous, you know. And when you listen to them, you could almost feel that these guys are serious about what they're saying. And it took a lot to make them mad enough to change their style of interview. Now, as we move forward on with these sound bites, uh, explaining what was going on from roughly August the 1st, 1975 through October the 30th of 1975. It's going to become clear uh, that the more upset they get is because uh, uh, things are changing there. Uh, you know, Hunter is forming what he's called his army. That's Bill Dundee, Norvell Austin, and the assassin. And uh, things are getting very volatile in uh, Southeastern at this point. Anytime you start putting stables together and armies together, uh, things start to really happen that uh, sometimes are over the top. And uh, so we're going to, this next soundbite is going to come from about two weeks after the one we just listened to. And it will be my first personality profile. This is me uh, uh, for Southeastern after my injury. Now, uh, this is six weeks earlier, you know, I got hurt. And now six weeks later, I have been down with the the collarbone injury. I've worked six times only for Jarrett and Memphis, but I have not wrestled at all for Southeastern. I'm trying to get well. And I'm going to describe in this personality profile my injury. And then Les is going to accidentally let the cat out of the bag by telling my idea that I had 
to drive Hunter's new army wild in the future. And this idea really puts them at a disadvantage uh, because, well, I'll let you hear what the idea is. Les is going to throw it out there, and and uh, it's going to cause them to have to keep their eyes on the ring and their opponents and also be concerned about where I am in the building at the same time. And a lot of times I try to sit behind them in the crowd. So uh, let's go to this personality profile. This one is, like I said, uh, a rock hunter and the assassin. And uh, and then this one is me. This is kind of my 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 retort to some of the things that they've had to say. And uh, if you're ready, just play that one. Start with. Let's explain to the fans a little bit what the injury was and just the extent of it. Well, Les, it's a it's a collarbone injury and a. Uh, what it actually is is a separation from the sternum, an internal separation from the sternum. And uh, uh, collarbone is a real funny injury. It's not one like a broken leg or a broken arm where they can put a cast on it and uh, and get well. It's it's something that uh, medically there's really nothing they can do for it other than put a brace on and stretch you back and hold you back. And I didn't want to go through that, so uh, you just it just takes time to get well. And that's exactly what I'm doing now. I'm just taking off as much as possible and uh, getting the rest and. Uh, and letting them get well. And it's just a matter, actually, like you say, it's uh, something that, with a break, it's maybe six weeks in a cast, you're out of cast and right back in action, but this could be another week, another month, you're just really not sure, just a, a matter of how long it's going to heal and how quick you figure it's going to be 100% you can get back in action, right? That's exactly right, Les. Uh, like I said, it's a it's a very uncommon type of injury, uh, and it's one that, uh, that can be uh, repaired by a cast or something like that, it's just going to take time. Well, of course, uh, I'm sure most of you fans know that uh, this injury was suffered at the hands of the assassin and rock hunter. It, uh, Ron's shoulder was run into a ring post, and uh, this was a cause for the separation. And, uh, of course, Ron, I know right now uh, you're very happy for your brother. He and Ron Wright are the Tennessee Tag Team Champions. But that was a result of the fact that he replaced you in this match that you were supposed to be in, but you were injured actually before the match started. That's right, Les. I never got to be in the match actually at all. And uh, like I say, my brother did take my place, and uh, I thank him for that. And uh, he and Wright went on and won the championship. and. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Uh, I'd like to say uh, I've been watching the program the last couple of weeks, uh, and I, I want to thank, first of all, I'd like to thank Les. Like you said, I have had a lot of cards and letters, and people have been really great to me, and I appreciate uh, all the letters and everything that I have had. And uh, and uh, my brother is uh, wrestling with Wright, and uh, they make a great combination. I think they're going to be great champions. And, uh, and the last couple of weeks I've watched the program, I've noticed that Hunter's been on, and uh, the assassin, and... Hunter seems to have formed himself some type of army. I prefer to call it a harem. He has a bunch of guys following him around doing whatever he wants, and uh, it's a volatile situation, Les. There's no doubt about it. Uh, what happened here last week, I, I noticed there was a fight, and that, uh, the viewers, uh, the people uh, outside the studio and in the home audience couldn't see, actually, a lot of things that right. did occur during that, and there was probably seven or eight minutes of fighting in the studio that wasn't even on camera, so... Uh, it's a really bad situation. I've been injured by the guys. Uh, Ron Wright, two out of the last three weeks, has uh, been bleeding here on television and has been hurt. And uh, I know that he he wants to get at him. Uh, I want to get at him. It's a situation unlike one that I've seen since I've been in wrestling. A really volatile something. Anything could happen. I'd like to pass this along to the fans. Something Ron told me before we came on the air. And I'm sure you fans will want to know about it. And I think Ron will make the announcement anyway. Maybe we're a little premature with it. But... The fact is that Ron will be buying tickets to the wrestling matches in and around Southeastern Wrestling. So where you see wrestling advertised, Ron will be in attendance as a spectator. And I, he told me basically the main reason here was 
He's going to get a look at Hunter, the assassin, uh, Norvell Austin, Bill Dundee, who are now in Rock Hunter stable, basically because Ron Fuller feels that he can find a flaw in a very strong combination. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, of course, this is going to be your reason for being in the arenas, right, Ron? Right, uh, Les. And uh, I'd like to say, as I said before, a collarbone injury is very, very funny type of injury and the fact that, that only I know how bad it's hurt and only I'm going to know when it's well. And uh, I'm going to make a point of being at every match, no matter whether it's in Morristown or Jellicoe or Knoxville or Bluefield, West Virginia, or any place they wrestle. And I'm not going to sit in their opponent's corner. I'm going to buy myself a ticket, and I'm going to sit in their corner less, and I'm going to be there to watch them from behind. And, and I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, right now that, uh, like I said, only I'm going to know when this thing is well. And when it's well, the night it's well, I'm going to be sitting right there. And when I feel like it, I'm going to step right through those ropes. And, uh, gentlemen, there may be somebody else taking some time off. Well, Ron, I'm sure the fans want to wish you a speedy recovery, and I do, and uh, we'll be glad to see you back in the wrestling ring once again. So there you have it, Ron uh, Fuller's injury, a shoulder separation. He'll be back in action in several weeks. You'll be seeing him around the arenas up until then. This personality profile we just heard is followed later in the same TV show with comments from Rock Hunter about my injury. Now, he's listened to the personality profile by this point in this program, and he's going to make some comments about what I had to say. And, uh, and he's going to talk about... Uh, what's going to happen to me if I show up in any of these buildings and I do end up sitting in the ringside or sitting somewhere and hiding in the building, what he and the assassin would do to me or plan on doing to me. And uh, I think people will find this to be very interesting as well. I noticed with a great deal of interest uh, your personality profile, and I heard that uh, Ron Fuller was crying about his problems with his collarbone. Now I realize that a lot of you out there don't know what a collarbone is. But uh, allow me to break it down for you in very simple terms. The collarbone is connected to the shoulder bone and the shoulder bone is connected to the arm bone. Well, I've got the solution for Ron Fuller's problems. Either myself, the assassin, Dundee, Norval Austin, or someone like that, will get that arm, and we'll twist it, and twist it some more. And even after you say you've given up, Ron Fuller, which you will give up, we're not going to quit twisting until we pull that diseased collarbone right out by the roots. How do you feel about the fact that Ron Fuller is going to buy a ticket and be sitting in your corner from now on until he's back in action? Well, you know something? If he wants to show his face, if he dares to show his face, or if he has nerve enough to show his face anywhere that we are, we might just perform that little operation on his collarbone right then and there. And I personally will buy him a silver collarbone to replace that uh, diseased, uh, inferior collarbone that he has now. That's going to be Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium, Friday night, six-man elimination tag, the big main event, wrestling tonight in Jellicoe, Tennessee. Brian, this catches us up to the last studcast in the card of October 24th, 1975, where I got in the ring and I cost the assassin to lose in the middle of the ring to my brother Robert. I was hiding in the crowd and I came out of the crowd and, uh, and Robert didn't know whether I was ready to return to the ring. I didn't know whether I was ready to turn the ring. Nobody did uh, when I got involved that night. 
But after two months of the longest layoff from the ring in my five-year career, except for the six matches that I had for Jerry Jarrett in the Memphis Territory, I was going crazy at this point to get back in the ring. I knew what could happen to me with another injury, but I also knew what I had scheduled for the following month of November of 1975. I had three straight Friday nights in the Knoxville Coliseum ready to go. Uh, I'd been off for two months. I was so eager to get back involved, and this injury had hurt my chances to get over properly after the switch because it happened only one week after I turned babyface. I never really had the opportunity to jump, start the territory with the angle that I really that's what I'd planned on doing, turning myself babyface, and we're going to pop business and uh, do great business from there on. But I only get one week as a babyface, and bam, I'm hurt. The longer I waited to get back, the less likely I was really going to get over. That's the way I felt about it. And uh, I, I wanted to get over in a way that I had anticipated getting over. So there's a second reason uh, of even more importance that factors into my decision to to get in that ring on October 24th, 1975. And the assassin and hunter gave me a notice on Friday, October 24th, 1975, that they were both going to finish before the 1st of December. Uh, I was not expecting it. This really kind of threw a, threw a ringer in what in my plans. I had planned on having those guys on into the early part of the 1976 but they kind of uh, popped this on me. And uh, as you have to do when you're a promoter and owner of a company, uh, you got to roll with the punches. And uh, so I had to get to work. Uh, and, but I had to get some wins over both of them before they left because that's the only way I was going to help me to become a top babyface again. So it didn't give me much time. So I jumped back in the ring, uh, and then that's a pretty good way of putting it. I'm in the crowd on October 24th, and I jumped back in that ring and uh, get my brother a win. And actually, him and Ron Wright, they win the Tennessee Tag Championships, again, from the Assassin and Hunter. And uh, that's uh, it worked out to be a darn good thing. It was a perfect time for me to get back involved. And we'll be discussing in the next few studcasts exactly how I'm going to take advantage of this. It's been a frequent problem in your first year as the owner of Southeastern, either guys getting injured or guys giving notice or guys having to leave town for threat of lawsuit. We'll find out how you resolved it this time. But first, let's take a break. Let's hear a word about the latest Super Studcast, one of the most popular ones yet. Super Studcast number 23 with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Fans from all over the world are blown away by the knowledge of the young Texas wrestler, Dr. Tom Pritchard, in Super Studcast number 23 at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Tom Pritchard's experience for his age is phenomenal. And add that to the mind of the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, and you have a brain trust of wrestling history that is hard to find anywhere on earth. If you're a true wrestling fan, old school or new, get prepared for an education in the sport. 
like you've never heard. Part one is 90 minutes of wow. And part two on November 26th will double that as the doctor returns for another 90 minutes to answer patrons' questions and hear Tom's accomplishments behind the scenes in WWE and beyond. This is a historical journey into the sport we all love. At tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Three hours of unforgettable stories and knowledge for only $2.99. Cinch up tight for this ride. There you hear it, the latest edition of the Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 23, part one, with a man some people call the Doctor of Desire. You may remember him from the Heavenly Bodies. You may remember him from the Dirty White Boy, really destroying him on TV, but I guess maybe that's Ron's fault. We'll get into that later on. But <laughs> Dr. Tom Pritchard, you got to hear this if you enjoy wrestling history. You really want to hear this. One of the smartest guys out there and someone with a real understanding and knowledge of wrestling history. You want to hear this today. TNstud.com or Patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99 gets you in the door. And don't forget, if you are a patron, go there right now. Go there some point in the next couple of days and leave a question for part two with Dr. Tom Pritchard. We're going to do our best to get as many of these questions on the air as possible we'll have more information later in the show but ron where are we going to now in the show well we're going to announce the card the results the tv that promoted it and the payoffs for halloween night october 31st 1975 uh we talked about earlier in the program here about october 24th uh this is the event after i i come out of the crowd and get into the ring cause the assassin to lose so then we're going to talk about what's on that card for Halloween 31st of October 1975. We're in Chihuahua Park, uh, and it's a very difficult night to draw a big crowd. Halloween is traditionally a huge family night, as everybody knows, that has both adults and kids focused on something very different than sports. I had learned how difficult Halloween was to draw on, Seeing all these small houses everywhere I went in the first five years I was in the sport, on Halloween night, you could expect to have a small crowd. And I was determined to draw a crowd, and that was another reason to make me come back on that very difficult night. Uh, most guys might have st- waited another week, you know, and, and come in knowing that they're going to have a big crowd because they've come back themselves. But I kind of looked at wrestling business a little differently. When it's a tough night, I like to put a stronger card in there and hold my crowd up if I possibly could at the level that it had been drawing. So I was determined to draw that crowd and to make that comeback on that very difficult night. I was pretty sure if I didn't make put myself on the card, we were going to drop dramatically and that's going to lose momentum and I hate to do that. So I had no way to anticipate what we're going to draw, but I figured by coming back to work and against one of the two men who had put me out of action would be our best bet at competing with Halloween. The card was a double main event. The opening match was Les Thatcher versus Don Lambert. Les got a good win over a guy much larger than he was. Charlie Cook worked with Mike Lauren and got a win in under 30 seconds. Tommy Seeler got a win over an old friend I had worked with many times in Florida when I first went there in 1970. He was a Japanese fella called Oki Shikina. Uh, the next match was a Tennessee Tag Championship match with the champions Ron Wright and Robert winning over Rock Hunter and Norvell Austin. 
And the main event, match me against the assassin. It was a great match. Ended up with me bleeding and the assassin just barely leaving the ring with his mask on. I had it almost off and Hunter came down, nailed me from behind, wrapped the assassin's head in a towel he had brought to the ring and hustled him back to the dressing room with his mask almost entirely off his face. The ref disqualified the assassin for Hunter's interference in the match and he raised my hand. Well, obviously the crowd loved the fact that I had won, but uh, I really wanted that mask. Enough so that I had a hard time getting back. The crowd was so into it at the end of it that I had a hard time getting back to the dressing room because I was being overwhelmed by the crowd. That they, was, they wanted to celebrate. And then they, they kind of wanted, uh, it's like in wrestling in Japan. The fans in Japan just want to touch you. And uh, I got that feeling that night. The crowd just, just really came to me. And on my way to the dressing room, I, it took me a long time to get there because everybody was in a celebratory mood and uh, and they were all just uh, just wanting to, to touch me. And uh, that's a great sign for a baby face, man. I, I, I really love it when the fans are into it in that, in that form and fashion. And uh, on this night, we recorded that match only. It was the only match we recorded. So on Saturday, November 25th, this was the TV that's going to promote that card that I just talked about on Friday, November 31st, 1975. And uh, the first match was the Assassin. First television match that promotes this card on Halloween was the Assassin versus Rocky Smith. And the Assassin went in the ring, escorted by the whole army, Rock Hunter, Norvell Austin, Bill Dundee. They all cheered him on as he pretty much destroyed a very good opponent in the former Inferno, Rocky Smith. After the commercial break, all four of those guys went to the set with Les. The Assassin and Hunter complained about how bad a job Les had done refereeing that match because in that match, which I got involved in the week before, uh, he was a special referee and so was Norvell Austin. So they jumped on Les right away about, well, you're a horrible referee and you should have seen what happened and you know that Ron Fuller got in the ring and he cheated us out of our belts. And uh, so they were complaining about the bad job he had done and uh, that they shouldn't have lost. Well, I had no business being in the ring, they were saying, and causing the assassin to lose. Well, Les kind of switched the heat on him right away to Norvell because he was also a referee on the same match, but they ignored his account of what happened, and, uh, and they weren't finished. Right away, Austin and Hunter, who are going to be uh, wrestling uh, on the following uh, Friday night, went straight into their title shot that they're going to get the following Friday night, uh, again, for the Tennessee tag titles with Robert and uh, and uh, our old boy, Ron Wright. And uh, they wanted to bring those tag titles home to the Hunter's Army. I think that's they spent a great deal of time talking about that. The assassin focused upon my arrival in the ring and how I had threatened for the last couple of weeks, uh, which the fans are going to to hear on that, and, uh, and they will see on the personality profile later in the show, I had threatened to hide in the crowd and uh, come out when I was ready. And they, he threatened that I should have never have done that. Now he said, I think in his interview, all bets are off about my future in the sport. He guaranteed 
to send me back to the hospital again. And this time, he's not just going to break the collarbone. It's, I think he said, I'm going to rip this collarbone out of his body. <laughs> so, so when they finished that interview, the fans booed him like crazy, and all four of those guys left smiling because they knew they had got some darn good heat. So, Ron, what's the story with them giving notice? Jason, you know, I never really got the answer to that. Uh, I hated to ask guys. And, you know, this is one of my first experiences, my first year as a as a booker and my first year as an owner. And, you know, I'd had, like you said, I'd had these uh, surprise notices. And uh, this one really is a whammy for me because these these are two of the best heels I have in the territory at this time. And they're going to be gone in less than a month. And that really is tough. But I didn't ask them much about it. Uh, and I kind of set a uh, precedent for myself that if guys gave me a notice, I felt like that I'd belittle myself if I had to ask them, well, where are you going? You know, so uh, it, probably it was none of my business. And uh, I think I treated them fairly. But I also noticed too, Brian, and, and maybe you have, uh, guys left territories in the end of the years for, for whatever reason. Usually November, December, people in the wrestling business made change territories. A lot of talent decided, I want to go someplace else and start the new year somewhere else. So I think that's what happened with these guys. Uh, and I got to be honest, I did not have six towns a week, seven nights a week where they could make money. I was basically only with two some, you know, sometimes three towns a week, sometimes just one, just Knoxville itself. And that's not the way you keep great talent. And uh, I was kind of expecting it was going to happen, but I just wasn't expecting it was going to happen that early. And they were both still driving in from Georgia, correct? Yeah, they're both still commuting from Atlanta in together and they're traveling back and forth together. And I assume they went, and I think they went to Florida, to be quite honest with you. Uh, oddly enough, the place I had come from, but I don't know that for sure. And like I said, I did not ask them. Uh, I was just really happy to have had them. I mean, uh, they, they're two really good, classic, uh, really fine heels. And uh, they had done a great job for me and helped me build my business. And, and I just appreciated what they had done. Where did you go next on the show, Ron? Second match was Tommy Siegler against Don Lambert. And uh, Siegler and Lambert had a tremendous television match. Uh, Tommy made that big man look good, and he let him get some real heat on him. And Tommy was a good seller. Uh, and and when you're a good seller, man, when you make that comeback, you're going to get the people. And he did just exactly that. He sold really good for this guy, and people thought he's going to lose. And when he made that comeback and won, the crowd was really, really into it. Uh, then Tommy and Charlie Cook, they both went to the set for the second interview. Uh, Tommy put the very good Japanese star, Oki Shikina, over. Uh, Tommy knew who he was, uh, and he described his experience uh, having wrestled him many times before. Uh, Tommy finished bluntly by saying Shakina didn't have a chance against him, and the studio audience obviously agreed with a big cheer. But, uh, you know, he, he did put him over some before he just said, I, but he's not going to beat me. Uh, Charlie Cook said he was facing an unknown in Mike Lauren. 
And Mike Lauren was an unloan to me, too. It was his first week there. It's going to be his first show there. So uh, Charlie doesn't know anything about him. But Charlie said, kind of like uh, Tommy said, he was very confident that he wasn't worried either. Uh, and he he said while playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he'd grown accustomed to not losing. And he wasn't going to stop that string now. He was going to keep his win streak going. So uh, pretty darn good interviews for two guys that uh, that are, are pretty well over at this point and uh, helping to draw money for me. Next up is the personality profile with me. And uh, this was probably the most intense profile since Southeastern Wrestling came on the air at WBIR. Uh, Les and I had watched during this segment, we're going to watch three videos that are going to tell the story of my injury and my return to the ring. I had not been able to watch or comment on either of the first two videos that had been recorded eight weeks earlier, the night that I got hurt. And uh, let's talk about these two videos. The first showed the actual circumstances in which I was hurt prior to my even getting to wrestle that night. Uh, we watched as the three teams came to the ring uh, and uh, they set to sit with, they were all set to compete all three of us for the Tennessee tag championship that night. It was a three team tournament basically to, to, to declare new Tennessee tag champions. It was the champions were actually the uh, assassin and rock hunter, but uh, they were going to have to beat two teams in order to keep their title. Uh, and before the matches, we all three teams came to the ring that night before any match. And uh, once we got into the ring, and that was Ron Wright, myself, the assassin and rock hunter, and the third team was Otto Von Heller and Carl Von Steiger. They were managed by Sam Bass. Two of those teams obviously came out of the heels dressing room, and one of the teams, myself and Ron Wright, were from the babyface dressing room. And I watched and I described what it was like to have five men attack two. That's basically what happened before the coin toss. They just attacked us. And, uh, and, and I, I kind of picked up on the fact that it was clear in the video, it was obvious in the video, that the assassin and rock hunter focused on me. They threw me out of the ring onto the dirt infield of the baseball stadium where we were wrestling that night and ultimately paired up on me to smash me into the steel ring post. Uh, then they left me after that, they left me face first in the dirt with a horrible collarbone injury. We then watched the second video where the ambulance picked me up and took me to the hospital. Uh, Les asked me all those pertinent questions, good questions Les was so good at. He asked me how that felt and if I'd ever happened to me before where I had been in an ambulance taken to a hospital after a match. And I told him the truth, that it was my first ambulance ride. Uh, actually, it was my first ambulance ride ever, and I'd never been in an ambulance after a wrestling match. And uh, this was by far the worst injury since I started wrestling. There was no doubt about that. Les brought up the threats that uh, these two guys have been making weeks before this happened about they were going to hurt me bad. You know, and then uh, and I didn't have much to say because Les and the fans knew the story. He then called the last video that showed the match from October 24th, 1975. That's the tag Tennessee tag match between Ron Wright and Robert against the champions, the assassin and rock hunter. It was no disqualification, no time limit, and also had two referees, Les Thatcher and Norvell Austin. 
I talked about the finish to this one on the last studcast, as a matter of fact. We listened earlier in this show to my saying I was going to buy a ticket and sit in the heels corner behind their backs, and they better watch out for me. I was the only one who was no when I was well and when I thought I was healthy enough to surprise them. That's exactly what I intended to do. Uh, I had the collarbone injury, and uh, collarbone injuries, not like a broken arm, broken leg. You have no cast. No one can tell by looking at you uh, what shape you were really in. So uh, it, it made sense to hide in the crowd and wait for the night when I knew I was ready. Uh, and that's what happened on Friday, October 24th. Except I didn't come from behind them, but I came down that babyface aisle to the ring. I cost the assassin a victory. I actually turned his very good opportunity to win into a loss for the big man. And it cost him and Hunter the tag titles. The video said everything necessary. The only thing left to say was what I intended to do in my match the following Friday night. And that was not talked about here in the personality profile because it would have affected the integrity of the profile. And uh, Les and I talked about it. Uh, we did not want to have guys talking about what they were going to do, making interviews in personality profiles. So we stuck to the matches, uh, and then I'm going to be on later in the show to actually talk about it. Third match was the new Tennessee tag champions, Ron Wright and Robert. And they entered the studio with their belts after the opponents, Bill Dundee and Tony Peters, had already been introduced. Studio audience greeted them with a roar of approval, obviously. Match was pretty good, especially with Bill Dundee getting most of the heat. It was a pretty long match, too, by television standards. And it ended in a submission with another win for the chance when Rob put the fuller leg lock on Tony Peters. Ron Wright and Robert made the next interview with Les at the set. They proudly displayed their Tennessee tag belts, and they thanked me for being there when they needed help. Uh, they said they were looking forward to their title defense. Norvell had already started calling himself the junkyard dog, and Ron Wright worked that into his interview. He said something to the effect that he was famous for a good old Tennessee dog whooping, and that surely includes a junkyard dog for sure. So, uh, you know, he basically set Norvell up to let him know that the junkyard dog may not fare too well on the following Friday night. The fans loved uh, those comments by Ron Wrights. They always did. Ron, how did you wrap up the show? Last match of the day was my first TV match in more than two months. I was somewhat concerned. It was my first, you know, his first match in the last couple of weeks, but I'd had those six matches over in the Tennessee territory out of Memphis. But this time, it's my first time on Southeastern TV in more than two months. Uh, and I was somewhat concerned that I was, I was very out of shape, you know, and, and wrestling under bright television lights, that isn't easy. Even if you're in good shape, it's hard to wrestle on television. The lights are so hot. Uh, it'll, 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 it'll blow you up quicker. And the announcer, Phil Rainey introduced my opponent and he was already in the ring and he was a big guy about my size with very little experience. I'm sorry, but I don't even remember this kid's name. He was a young boy, uh, but he was big. And, and once I saw him, I said, I need to have you. So when I came around the corner out of the dressing room and entered the studio, I got a tremendous ovation from the crowd. I went around the ring and I shook fans' hands and I climbed into the ring with my wrestling jacket still on. And after the introduction of me, I shook hands with my opponent 
And I turned my back to go to my corner, and I was starting to take my wrestling jacket off when the the bell rang. And the big guy just charged me from behind. Uh, I quickly, I kind of saw him, you know, I felt him. You know, sometimes when you wrestle long enough, you can you can feel moves without being able to see them even coming. I felt that he was coming after me. And when the bell rang, I dropped my jacket and uh, he shoved me toward the turnbuckles in my corner. And he was charging fast. And I just reached back there and put a hand in front of his legs. I switched him and I ended up shoving him into the turnbuckle instead of me. And uh, I continued my momentum and went backwards. Uh, driving my chest first in the turnbuckles, driving him first in the turnbuckles. And then I used that old O'Connor roll to drag his body over mine and rolled myself up on top of him for the pin. The referee was right there and counted him out in less than five seconds after the bell. A crowd erupted as my hand was raised, and I'd won the fastest Southeastern TV match in history. Uh, I don't think that record was ever broken, as a matter of fact, but... I went straight to the set with less, even though I'd experienced some significant pain in my my little roll-up. My little baby O'Connor roll-up hurt my collarbone a little bit. So I could instantly see that my hurry to get back in action was going to come with a price to pay. You know, I wasn't wasn't ready, but uh, I had no choice, really. When the two-minute interview started, Les mentioned, I just set the record for the fastest win in Southeastern history. I jumped right in saying, I certainly didn't expect to win that fast the next Friday night, but I had a goal in mind for my first match with the Assassin since my injury. Uh, What I wanted to do is what no one had ever done, and that's take his mask off. I had put some thought into this interview while hurt, and and I had a lot of downtime to think about uh, interviews and things like that. And uh, great talkers, you know, they almost always they prepare themselves before interviews by creating in their minds some talking points on things they want to cover. So Les replied to my taking the mask off comment with the fact that no one had ever done that to the assassin before. I told him a story about my dad and his tag partner in Atlanta, Ray Gunkel, how Robert and I had stood on the huge stage in the Atlanta Auditorium when I was 16 years old and watched my dad and Gunkel try and remove both the assassin's mask in a Georgia Tag Championship match. We talked uh, about how my father and Gunkel were bleeding and, and struggling in vain to reveal the assassin's identities, and, and they ultimately failed. I mean, and then I told a story about how long these two assassins had held on to many championships around the world. I agreed with Les that they'd never been unmasked in their illustrious history because they hadn't. I finished the interview with after what, after what had been done to me and all the pain I'd had for months, I didn't give a damn. I think I told Les, I don't give a damn whether it's never happened before. Next Friday night is Halloween, and lots of people are going to be out wearing masks on next Friday night, and they are all going to remove their mask themselves. But I'm going to remove one that's not going to be on my face. I was going to be the first wrestler in history to expose the face of the assassin to a wrestling crowd. Uh, gosh, it was a big hot pop in the studio from the crowd, the studio crowd uh, as I left the set. And it gave me real hope for Halloween night.
Well, Ron, you talked earlier about the problems with running on Halloween. How did you actually do Halloween night, 1975? Well, we didn't do too bad. Uh, we had been in that 3,000 fans a night range for about the last three weeks uh, since we went back to Cheryl Howie Park in the small building. And uh, no, we were drawing at 3,000 fans. It was almost twice as many fans as the year before when I first arrived there. So that, to me, was tremendous growth. I was proud of that and thankful to all the wrestlers who had helped in that first year of Southeastern. We drew about 2,700 crazed fans, and they were wild that night. It seemed like Halloween inside and outside. They had a wonderful time, and uh, and I hope a few memories were made that some of those fans never forgot. The gross house was just over 8,000. Total payoffs were about 2,300. Guys on the bottom of the card, Oki Shakina, Don Lambrick, Mike Lauren and the ref got 100 each. The next tier, Siegler, Cook, and Thatcher got 200. And the top guys, Assassin Hunter, Norvell, Robert, and Ron Wright got 250 each. Everyone benefited again because I didn't take a payoff. And it always seemed to work out better for the guys when I didn't. And I kept that system for quite a while. Before we finish today, Brian, I'd like to remind fans one last time about that fantastic tribute event for the legendary Bullet Bob on Saturday, November 23rd. Uh, it's at, going to be at the beautiful crossings of Big Creek. It's formerly center stage in Dothan, Alabama. Tickets are only $30 each and or two. If you buy two, they're 50 for two. And you can get them in advance at Eventbrite, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E.com or the Crossings Big Creek. Dot com, Or you can get them at the door the night of the event. And uh, uh, really looking forward to that event and uh, sure hope that uh, a lot of fans in that area down there along the Panhandle, uh, the Gulf Coast, and Georgia, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, uh, come and take, a, and take part in this tremendous celebration for one of the greatest of all time. It should be a spectacular night. Hopefully a bunch of people come out there and let Bullet Bob Armstrong know just how much he means to them now. And of course, when they're watching him kick the Tennessee studs butt all over the ring. But Ron, as we wrap things up before you kick my butt for saying that, I want to <laughs> remind everyone the latest Super Studcast, Super Studcast number 23, part one with Dr. Tom Pritchard is up right now. We talk continental wrestling. We talk Houston wrestling, lots of really great wrestling history in this episode. So many people have wondered what happened with Paul Bosch and Harley Race. What led to Houston leaving the NWA? We talk about that and so much more. Check it out today, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. And also want to remind you, if you are a patron, go to patreon.com slash studcast right now and leave your question for part two of Super Studcast number 23 with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Of course, we want to remind you, as we always do, you can follow the Tennessee Stud on Facebook, the page, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud. The Stud is also on Twitter, at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter, at Great Brian Last, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter, at Super Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Ron, where are we going to next week on the Studcast? 
Well, Brian, we're about to enter the best month for southeastern wrestling so far. It's going to be November of 1975. Like I mentioned earlier, there's going to be three straight Coliseum shows with all kinds of stars. And I mean all kinds, from Andre the Giant to the world heavyweight champion Jack Briscoe. And uh, one of those cards will introduce to Southeastern Wrestling the new Southern heavyweight champion, the gentleman we've been talking about, Bob Armstrong. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an exciting time for Southeastern Wrestling. This month of November in 1975 is kind of like where we start to turn the corner and this territory, it, it, this little town and maybe the couple of other little towns that run uh, two, three times a week is going to become that six-night-a-week territory, and uh, we're going to really start to make a name for ourselves. Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.